Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Science of Sport live from Budapest. This is our recap series, and today we look back on day five. Mike was once again in the stadium and in the media zone where we saw an upset in the men's 1500 where Jakob Ingebrigtsen was beaten by Josh Kerr. We saw a return to gold and confirmation of dominance for Carsten Warholm in the men's 400 hurdles. We saw Dominican Republic gold for Paulinho in the women's 400. And we saw a tie and a shared gold medal in the women's pole vault. We'll discuss all those events and then we'll look forward to what you can see on day six in the finals. We do a little bit of a deeper dive into the physiology of fatigue, particularly in the 1500 where it's fragile and the event has to be paced so precisely. We ponder fatigue in the field events. We make some comparisons between Noah Lyles 2023 and Usain Bolt 2009 version and most importantly, we talk Norwegian hair and Hungarian goulash with Mike. So I'm going to get Mike on the line very shortly. Those of you listening to this as patron members, thank you once again for your support. I think the community is really growing well. I've thoroughly enjoyed reading your comments every day in response to these podcasts. Really stimulating and adding a lot of value. So if you're listening to this and enjoying them, please consider joining that patron community. But without further delay... Let's get Mike on the line and let's look back at a very interesting night of athletics from Budapest. There we go. Mike, welcome, welcome from Budapest. Morning, morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? All good, all good, Mike. If you and I were involved in a pole vault competition and it was locked at uh, gold medal positions and we were currently inseparable, would we agree to share gold medal or would we fight it to the death so that neither of us can claim to be joint world champion? Well, that was a question that was actually asked of, um, of the two gold medalists last night, actually. Um, and uh, the American Moon um, actually was at, in, a, in a sort of mixed zone afterwards was, uh, was asked that very question, which, which she, which she, when she saw what happened at the long jump last year, uh, two years ago, um, she said, what did she think? And she said she never knew what she wanted. Um, she was the one eventually went to the New Zealander um, and said, okay, um, what are we going to do now? Um, do you want to share the medal? And she kind of had to throw it out there. And then she, she said, she looks at her and she said, yes. And I just hugged and there was a lot of emotion involved. But she said, for her, the decision was quite simple. She was exhausted. She just knew that if it was a jump off, she would have gone for it. And obviously you had to do it. But um, in the end, it was it was the best result she felt for her as well as the the, the, the um, New Zealander. So Straight yeah, it's the second time we've seen that in, in two world championships. So quite amazing. Uh, Australian, just on the, Sorry, the other one. You know, <laughs> somewhere, you know, down you... The, somewhere down in the Antipodes. 
Yes, Nina, Nina Kennedy, incidentally, was the athlete who, who yeah. said that the runway was tilted. We discussed that yesterday. So, yeah, second time I've seen that. Uh, the previous time was in Tokyo in the men's high jump. That's the one you're thinking of, right? Yes, that's right. Sorry, I'm getting my, my, my world championships and my Olympics all mixed up here. But yeah, you're so right. Then, the, 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 yeah. So then it was Bosch and Tamberi, who, who Tamberi won the title in the high jump the other day, incidentally. But... It's an interesting one because I saw some re reaction on Twitter which said that that shouldn't be allowed, that you should have a clear winner. And I just wondered what your thoughts were. Because it's funny, I'd never seen it until that Tokyo event. And I remember at that time, they didn't even know. They said, can we actually do that? Can we, can we split it? Can we both be champions? Yeah. And the guy said, yes. So then they hugged and off they went. Similarly yesterday. So now we know that it's a thing. And I just wondered whether you thought it should be a thing. And then I'll tell you what I think. Well, I, I think that it's, it's a, if two athletes decide, so let's just sort of take a step back and say, yes, it was Nina Kennedy, the Australian, and Casey Moon, the American, both basically completely square by the time they'd finished, the, 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 they both jumped 490. They had three attempts at 495. They hadn't made it. Therefore, it was the chance of a, of a split. But if, you, if two athletes decide that they're not going to want to compete, they can just fail if they force them to jump. They're just going to say, "Okay, well, we'll jump, but we'll just yeah. force the jump." They can force the officials. The officials can't force them to do that. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, the athletes have the decision unless they change the rules somehow. And I don't know how they would do that. And um, if the athletes decide that it's going to be a, a draw, it's going to be a draw. There's nothing that the officials or the rules can do to dictate the other anything else. And it would be, it would be almost irrational to say, "No, I want to keep going." Because, yes, completely. Because, because both, of them, both of them were exhausted. They were tired. Katie Moon was saying, I was absolutely finished. And I just felt that it was, it was, it was definitely the best result. And so it wasn't really about all loving and hugging and sort of uh, creating the special moment, I, I think. I think there was some element of that. But I think there was the element of relief for both of them that uh, they didn't want to continue because they were just they'd given everything up until that point. And the competition had lasted for four hours. Um, so it been it started at top of seven, and I think yeah, it was a, it was about quarter to ten by the time it finished. So not a, it was, and it's just I think I think the risk of saying let's do the jump off because the way it would normally work then is they'd bring the bar back down because now they've they've all filed out. So what they do is they bring it back down, and it becomes in effect like a sudden death. Yeah. We, we jump low, we go up. Then we if no if if both clear low, we go up. If both clear that, we go up. So it basically repeat the competition. But the problem is that if you say, no, 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 I want to keep going because I don't want to share this gold medal, yeah. then you might not get gold at all. So the, the, the risk of continuing is so large and the benefit of saying let's split it is, is the same. Like, so no one will say Nina Kennedy only won half a gold medal one day. Right. She's still the champion. So what would happen if there were four athletes tied? Yeah, I guess that's going to be something that, that the officials hope never happens because it, it could happen that way for sure they could all agree um but it doesn't happen very often we've only no. seen that as no. you say twice in the last two major events it hasn't happened since i can remember anything else so maybe i'm wrong in that but uh it doesn't happen very often so maybe they just have to deal with that when it happens yeah. and yeah. we'll have a lot to talk about on the podcast and it only it can only happen in two events high jump and pole vault right it can't because everything else, it would be a one in a trillion chance that every jump and a long jump is identical between people. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, that was so. So just 
Shall we dive straight into that? Because I thought it was an interesting thing. On on that, something you said, like Moon said she was so tired at the end of that. Um, okay, Povos a little, little bit different. And I know we never talk about field events because neither of us has particular expertise nor affinity for them, having not really done them. But I wondered the other night about fatigue and field events because did you see the men's discus throw conclusion? No, I was watching too much of the track stuff, to be honest. It was, it was really... Really very good. There was a, the Slovenian Che and Daniel Stahl of Sweden were in first and second. Che had been leading basically the whole competition. He took the lead on his first throw. He extended, I think, on his second throw. And by round five, I think, Daniel Stahl threw and went into first. So then Che walks in in his last throw, six, which is effectively the second last throw of the competition, and goes ahead of Stahl. So now we've had a third change in lead. And then Stahl walks in on his final throw and throws further and wins it in a championship record. So it was, it was really very good. And I got to thinking, I wonder if anyone's ever looked at whether your first or your sixth throw or jump is likely to be better than your sixth or first. You know, like, in other words, is there pacing strategy in field events? And does the winning performance more often come at the start of your six throws or jumps? Mm -hmm. Or does it come... At the end, now, pole vault and high jump are different because you're always going to win on your last jump and the event almost always ends in failure, right? But, but I wonder whether there's an adrenaline element in that last round. It's like all or nothing now. Whereas in the first round, you manage your efforts a little bit differently. And if anyone's ever looked at whether fatigue in shot put and discus is actually a thing. It clearly yes. isn't pole vault. And I wonder whether it is. Maybe someone watching this knows more about these things or has done an analysis like that. But I thought it was interesting to wonder about fatigue and pacing in field events. Well, the funny thing was that we were discussing it. I was in the mix zone talking to one of the American journalists who has been covering athletics for 50 years, he was telling me. And um, he believes that the, the, the pole vault is the ultimate athlete. He says you, you need the combination of strength and speed and also gymnastic skill that no other event has. Plus, you've got to be you've got to be quite ballsy, you know, to be able to compete in the in the in the in the pole vault. So he he believes it's the the ultimate challenge, and the intensity of that competition um, is is like nothing else in track and field. So it it it, yeah, it certainly is an event which is quite fascinating um, because it has elements of that no other event has. Mm, yeah, and you got the men tonight, so yeah. big name there, Duplantis. Duplantis, uh, yeah. yeah. I suspect won't be asking to share gold with anyone because he's unless he's in a bad day he's not sharing gold yeah so. yes exactly he's the firm favorite for sure but uh pole vault's an interesting one having watched many of the south african pole vaulters and south africa had some amazing pole vaulters uh, sort of 15 20 years ago um, but sometimes you can go and line up at the start of a pole vault event and have a no height because it's such a technical event you have mm. a couple of bad runs and you don't get it right and suddenly um, a height that you would clear easily in training suddenly becomes a problem at world championship level. And we had a South African called Orchid Brits, who was famous for doing that, who's second highest ever in the pole vault for years and years behind the great Sergei Bukka. And um, he would have days when he just couldn't clear a height at all, yet he was the firm favorite going into it. So technically, it's, it's not, you know, it's not like running a 400 meters where if you're a good 400 meter runner, that you're going to probably get through to the final. And, and mm. you can, in, in pole vault can be completely different. Yep. Speaking of upsets, what do you want to talk about last night? There was one, well, and then there was, I've actually, there was... I've actually, uh, as you, I hope you've noticed, but I've actually done my hair in the Norwegian style, um, <laughs> because I was watching this yesterday, and 
watching the interviews, not only of Ingebrigtsen, but of Kostin, um as well. And it was, I, I was amazed. I mean, we talk about the American sprinters and how well turned out they are when they're actually competing. But uh, the, the Norwegian men have the most perfect hair. And despite having run finals and doing amazing things, they sit there in the big zone, their hair is absolutely perfect. And uh, they are very well turned out. So um, yes, let, let's, Let's let's kick off with that fifteen hundred meters because that was these, the one that. Just uh, by the way, folks, these are the insights you come here for. The hair, the hair talk. It's, this is why. This is why you listen. Anyways, let's talk about the fifteen hundred then. Yeah. So Josh Kerr, the Britain Mider, um, again for the second World Championships in a row, beats Jacob Ingebrigtsen, who is probably the 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 all fa all time favourite of this event. He's dominated the Diamond League. Um, we talked a bit about him the other day in the in the in our podcast. How he finishes the semi-finals and runs down the final 150 meters of the straight, sort of getting the crowd all excited. And there's controversy around that as well. But um, Ingebrigtsen eventually finished second. 3:29:38 was uh, Kerr's time, and Ingebrigtsen was uh, second behind him. But at first glance, you think, well, beaten fair and square. But Ingebrigtsen was saying in the mix zone afterwards that he was sick. Um, he, depending on, I listened to his conversations, first of all, with the print media guys who record the conversation with him, and then the interview that he did with the TV guys on the other side, the percentage of how he felt sick changed. It went from sort of, I'm, I'm about 90% um, healthy on the other side, and then the other side, I'm not 100%. So, he, you know, we weren't quite sure exactly how sick he felt, but he reckoned that at about 600 meters in, his legs didn't feel like they they were particularly good and he was not feeling great. And he was very disappointed because he said that for the three months leading up to these World Championships, he basically isolated himself from people so that he wouldn't get sick and he was able to train, gets to the World Championships, and now he's not feeling particularly good. So that was his reason why he didn't perform up to expectation, but still the medal and just behind the winner, Josh Kerr, who was a marvellous interview as well, sat and listened to him for a while. Um, it was this was arguably the shock of the evening, shock of the championships even. Yeah, yeah it could well be. It could well be. It was. It was. Uh, it was like watching Eugene again. And in fact, in that occasion, it was Jake Whiteman who yeah. who was commentating on the race, or he was rather in studio for the BBC yesterday evening. And I watched the race on the BBC broadcast, and it was really interesting to hear Whiteman talk before, and he picked Kerr to win. I wouldn't say it was a confident pick. I think it was one of those patriotic picks like we had with Sambini the other day. But but I do think he knew that this was possible because he'd done it himself. And watching the race, it was the same blueprints. It was, you know, Jakob's going to go out and run. Jakob's going to go out and run from 600 gone. He's going to take the lead and he's going to try and set a solid pace. And you know exactly where you need to be with 300 to go. You know exactly when to put pressure on the guy. And they did it exactly the same way that Whiteman did. There's a picture doing the rounds on Twitter of Whiteman and Kerr as kids because they actually come from the same region. So it's, uh, yeah, so, so Ingebrigtsen's been haunted by one specific club that produced these two guys who've beaten them. They also said on the BBC coverage that Ingebrigtsen's three fifteen hundreds this year average time is in the 3.27 range. Yeah. And it's amazing to think that a guy who can run average 3.27 when no one else in the world can probably go under 328, can be beaten by them. But that's the beauty of the tactical and the physiological demand, specifically of the 1500, I think. It always throws up. Remember back in the 1990s when you would have been covering athletics a lot more, there was an Algerian called Nuruddin Morsali. Yes. 
And he also couldn't win championship 1500s because he just didn't have the necessary physiological makeup to close a race that wasn't a 328 as fast as a guy who could close a race, even though that guy was a 332 guy. Again, our Kerr's not a 332 guy. It's considerably better than that. But yeah, that physiology is really interesting. So how, how else could Engelbertson win this title? What, what would he have to do differently? Does he go slow? Okay, and I know he's now saying that he was sick, but let's, let's just set that aside. What, what does a guy like that do to try and nullify the fact that now there are going to be five guys trying to beat him in the same blueprint next time? Well, I think it, it's, it's, it, it sort of feeds into our discussions we have in the past about the difference between championship running versus running mm -hmm. in diamond leagues where they have pace setters and all sorts of other things around time and incentives, where suddenly in a championship event, you don't have any of that. So it's a different style of running. World, Olymp World Championships and Olympics are the same. So I, I think to some extent, I agree with you 100%. I think Britain is one of those guys who revels in a, in a strong pace where the time is going to be quick. But once it becomes tactical, it's a different story. And you know, let's not let's not um, let's not not give credit to Josh Kerr because he, you know, he's obviously done everything right. He was talking a little bit about they asked him at the post uh, race press conference what was different in his training this year. Why has he performed so well? And he said that the, the attention to detail was almost extreme to the point where he had a mental health. He had a mental coach. He has a nutritionist that looks after his diet. He said he went on a quite an extreme diet. He, he was, you know, he, he looked off every aspect of his training and he said to us, everybody in that final field can do the same workouts. If you gave a tough workout to every single one of us, we could do every single one of those workouts. The difference on the day is the mental, is the mental side. It's the nutrition side. It's, it's all those different things. And, you know, Josh Kerr said, you know, even tactically, he didn't feel like he did a particularly good job because going with 200 meters to go, which was exactly the same tactic used last time, felt like, well, Ingebrigtsen's going to beat me now. But when he went and he just kept going, he's, he'd won it. And I, and I think he felt that the, that little X factor of preparation was what made the difference. So I'm not sure Ingebrigtsen's going to be the shoe in that we always think he is in the, at the World Championships, purely because I don't think it's a start of racing that suits him. No, and... and... <laughs> In fact, we said yesterday he was beatable, but like 1%, and it turns out 1% was true. And maybe next time we need to be a little bit more circumspect in our confidence in him, because next time he races, he's going to have, assuming Whiteman comes back from injury, he's going to have two Brits. He's going to have a Norwegian rival who nearly got him on the line yesterday. I was really hoping he would, because there would have been some spicy coverage in that story. <laughs> Given the, given the backstory that Nordas is not coached by Ingebrigtsen's father and they don't really speak much yeah, anymore. Yeah. So that was close. He held him off by three hundredths of a second. And actually, World Athletics provide the 100-meter splits. And Nordas finished the last 100 meters in 12.85, over a second faster than Ingebrigtsen. Sure. And, and in fact, much faster than anyone else in the race. No one else was under 13 for the last 100. And so Nordas will look back on that and say, okay, great result, but I needed to go from 150 out, not 100, and I might have got onto the silver medal step. So that's really interesting. Nordas is coming. I think uh, the American Nagus will probably improve. The kid who came 10th was this 18-year-old Dutch fella. Like, I mean, yeah. I remember when I was at school, we had a guy run 3.54, and we thought he was a superhero. This kid's running 3.30, and he's 18. Unbelievable. Yeah. So if, he, if, his, if his trajectory improves, he, he'll be a medal candidate, even as early as Paris. Incidentally, 
he ran the fastest 100 meter split of the whole race from 1200 to 1300 he ran 11.61 so that's that's unbelievable like and that that probably cost him that half a second too fast there is probably why he then ran the last 100 in 14.7 which was the slowest in the whole race yeah so that's how delicate the 1500 is if you if, if you're half a second here there you, you pay so much so anyway point i'm making is that ingerbertson ingerbertson may say you know i wasn't 100 percent yesterday but man he's gonna have to be 100 percent if he's gonna win a global title in this event he yeah it's gonna be hard for him the, on, the only thing i suggest he could do is he has to run the second lap faster he's got got to go he's got to go 56 56 56 and try and run a 328 solo i can't see how else he can he can model or set this race up so yeah and i think one of the best you just sort of touched on an analogy which i remember hearing from Ezekiel Saping, the great south african 800 meter runner who was a silver medalist at the olympics and um he was talking about when he ran the 800 meters and he sort of described it quite well he said it was like having a bag of water which was your energy for the for the 800 meters and what you do is you how you use that energy that that bottle of that sachet of water and when you use it is key because by the time you get to the finishing line you are 100 percent finished so if you have to spend a bit more time coming around a bend and having to go wide or go too early or do all those sort of things you've just got to make sure that you are putting the energy and the speed in at the right time and as you said those margins are so tiny mm. that just going too wide just having to go past another athlete all those sort of things at that pace that can be the difference between that 0.1 0.2 seconds so that that yeah. is exactly how technical it is to some extent because it is such you're right on the line of your of your ability when you're racing at that level yeah and, and i would even add to that analogy because there are two there are two things happening one is the depletion of your available energy supply but as that's depleted, there's another tank that starts filling up and that's of the byproducts of metabolism. So it's almost like as that water tank is used, the use of it creates a new tank of, I don't know, call it sludge <laughs> or call it, call it acid or phosphates if you want to get biological about it. And they literally hamper you. So you've got to balance two things, how quickly I use what I have and how quickly I accumulate what I don't want. And that's the problem. And, and in fact, there've been some quite handy tactical analyses of 1500s. And when the pace is fast, and yesterday would have been considered fast because it was a 55 second first lap and a 58. It's been shown that if you're not in the first five for the first few hundred meters, then you are going to have to work too hard to get into the first five later. And then you pay for that. So you could have almost stopped that race after the first 400 meters yesterday and said, right, here's your five. These are the five that are going to be fighting for the podium. And you would have been pretty close. And that's what the, that's what the research actually shows you. So the faster it is, the more precise you have to be, but the slower it is, the more random it is. And so that's always the dilemma for these athletes. And I think the 800 works in a similar way. And we'll see the 800 semis this evening moving towards the final. So yeah, fast, these are, these are always the two most, unpredictable events in in track championships because of this physiological fragility almost in pacing yeah the 5,000 the 10,000 there's a margin for error there because the pace is slow and you're never quite at the limit for as long as you are in a in one of these races speaking of the five any indication as to whether Ingebrigtsen runs it now with a slightly sore throat or does he opt out and rather go for a, a fast diamond league time later oh this is 
see, I can actually look and see whether we've got the um, uh, the start list for the 5,000 yet to see whether that is there. I think he's uh, on them, but I don't know that yeah. he'll show up for him. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, based on what he was saying last night, he certainly isn't feeling hundred <laughs> percent, or I'm feeling eighty percent, or whatever. Whatever you want to listen there, but yeah, it's interesting to see whether he is going to do. I just looking at the start list here. He is. Yeah, I'm just confirming that he's going to be on the start list here. Um, those. Yeah, I'm not seeing him on the start list here, but maybe I need to look a bit more closely. Henrik Ingrid, his brother, of course, is there. Um, but I don't see him in any of the two heats at the moment. So maybe he has changed. Oh, there he is. He's in heat one. So yes, he is. He is, he is down to, to, be in, to be in the heats. Um, and that is going to be happening today at 7 o'clock tonight. So I mean, the, if he is recovered or not. Yeah, the logic thing to do would be to say i'll sleep on it see how i feel when i wake up and then even an hour before i can decide not to race but anyway it'll be interesting to see if he does or not and and whether that event suits him a little bit better so yeah, yeah. okay uh what else we had we had yeah to well, too, quite some quite nice moments uh, the next event was the 400 meters women's final and uh Mary lady polino the uh, dominican mm -hmm. republic athlete very emotional Win for her, obviously, with uh, Sydney McLaughlin not being there this year, she would have been the outright favourite, I think. But um, it was a wonderful moment for Marilita Polina and Natalie Kazmarek, the Polish athlete as well, who was second. Um, there was a lot of emotion on that finishing line, and it was just, you know, a very solid performance. Marilita Polina has always been right there and then, always sort of second behind McLaughlin, but she takes the world title, and um, I'm sure she's happy that. I don't. I think she would have probably probably say that. If McLaughlin was there, it would have been a different story, perhaps. And she would have probably preferred to have beaten legitimately uh, McLaughlin as well. But, you know, who knows? Um, a gold medal is a gold medal. Yeah, exactly. Um, this was one event that lost a lot of star power when Sydney McLaughlin didn't come to Budapest. So yeah. she ran a 48.7, I think it was. Is that, have I got that right? Yeah, 48.76, yeah. Which was, which was a national record for Polina. So... Um, it was a good. It was obviously a PB for her and uh, and national record. So she she ran out of her socks and she you know got got to what she deserved really because she was the favourite going into it. Yeah, yeah. Then next up was the four hundred hurdles where the favourite from Norway did not fail to deliver. <laughs> yeah. So Carsten Wilhelm, who is I'm just as I say I've got a Carsten Wilhelm Wilhelm hairstyle today. Um, Lovely guy to interview. I tell you what, he really is a, a very um, enigmatic character and ran. He was obviously the firm favorite. He's the world champion. He's a he was a two-time world champion. I'm uh, sorry, two-time world champion. Now he's a three-time world champion. He's the Olympic he's Olympic champion. He's the world record holder. He's pretty much dominant, and um, you know he's kind of established himself as if there was one event that is most dominated by a single athlete in, in the last couple of years. It's been uh, Warholm. And, um, you know, yesterday he talked a little bit about the fact that all the sacrifices he makes and uh, all the training that he does and the, the early, the late nights and the early mornings and all that sort of thing. And he says, this is the reason why we do this is to be here with a gold medal because it's, it, that, that's when it's all worth doing it. Um, and uh, he was, he said it was, you know, for him uh, a, a good race. And obviously it was, time was, you know, pretty, pretty reasonable, not lightning fast, wasn't the season best, but it was good enough to win. And, uh, 
can't remember, McMaster, who was second, and Ryan Benjamin, the American, who I thought probably a little underperformed slightly, mm. uh, finished the, got the bronze medal. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a great result for Wilhelm, and um, it, he really is now the dominant force in that event. Um, with He missed out on the World Championships, the last World Championships in Oregon, because he was sick, finished seventh in the final. Um, but he said, well, he feels like the gold medal is back where it belongs now, which is probably true. Yeah. I think he was injured there, he had a hamstring injury that he got in the Oslo or Stockholm Diamond League just before Eugene. And in fact, Dennis Sachs has become an unofficial fact checker and mailed me on Instagram overnight to say that yesterday we said Warham wasn't there. I think I said that. He was there, of course, and he came seventh because of an injury. So that's really the only time that he's lost a race since he became world champion. Yeah. So that is... Uh, and there are, dominant. There, are similar, I, there are similarities between him and Ed Moses, the great... American 400-meter hurdler who I can't remember exactly what his record was, but he, he went something like, you know, many, many years without losing a single 400-meter hurdler's race. He was that dominant. Yeah. And Wilhelm is getting to the point now where he's reaching that sort of Ed Moses level of uh, of ability in, in that particular event. Yeah, Moses, I think, was 47-0-2. That, that, that was the record that Kevin Young broke in Barcelona. And then Wilhelm broke that record back in Tokyo. I, th I thought yesterday's race didn't live up to the hype and it probably was hyped because of the Tokyo race and because of what we've seen in the event. I mean, in the end, when you look at that list, there wasn't a single PB season's best, uh, well, there'd been a season's best, there wasn't a single PB national record of any kind in that race. And normally you would expect to see that. So even Warholm winning it in the time that he did, good, but not spectacular, 0.3 off the season's best. Benjamin, as you say, was the big underperformer. De Santos, I think, was coming back from injury and was probably never going to be at the level that he was in Eugene last year because he ran low 46 there. So overall, the hype, the hype bar was too high, but the race didn't get close to it, I thought. It was, a, it was routine rather than spectacular for, for Warhol. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. Uh, go, taking a step back just there quickly there, so... I mean, this is a remarkable record, and I'm trying to look up where Wilhelm is in terms of his unbeaten record, but Ed, Edmund Moses had 122 consecutive race wins um, and two Olympic gold medals over a 10-year span. So he wasn't beaten in 10 years, hmm. and, he, and he won 107 consecutive finals. So that is just an unbelievable record. But I, yeah. I, I, I Warham, we're talking that we're talking the heady heights of where Wilhelm could be. Um, Edward Moses is, is certainly the, the one that he needs to aim for. Yeah, I mean, Warham, Warham would have reset that counter last year in Eugene because he yeah. lost that final. So he, he, he would be on, I don't know, 12 now. And if you think a guy runs maybe 15 to 20 a year, you've you got to be at the top for seven, eight years to do what yeah. Moses did. It is not, not going to happen again, I yeah. don't think. So. That's extraordinary, extraordinary, yeah. 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 Okay. So yeah, that was yesterday's action. I think uh, we covered the pole vault and the, the the joint gold medal. What do we look forward to tonight? Well, uh, three finals on tonight: 100 meter hurdles uh, for women, uh, 400 meters final for men, which will always be an exciting one, and the women's 400 meter hurdles as well. And um, there's the 5,000 meter heats for men happening today. And, of course, the 200 metres semi-finals, both men's and women's, that's going to be what everybody's going to be looking out mm. for, of course. Um, huge excitement over the men's 200 metres in particular because we've got the three medalists from the 100 metres, all who are specialists more at the 200 metres than they are in the 100, and they're all in that 200 metres. So it's going to be very, very interesting. And, 
in the first round heats, all three of those medalists from the 100 meters performed as we expected. Um, that's going to be an exciting race because Noah Lars, of course, is the man that everybody thinks is going to win it. But there has going to be some serious competition from um, people like, let's say, Tabocha, the Botswana, who finished second in the 100. And he is also running very, very well over the 200 meters this year. So that's uh, almost the semifinals, almost more of a highlight than the finals tonight. So I'm quite looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, Zion. Final Hughes yesterday broke 20 in the 200, looking very comfortable. Didn't look like it was working at all. And then on the women's side, I think the same scenario is in play. Remember, on the men's side, you add to the men's 100 podium the presence of Aria Knighton. And I'm not really sure what sort of shape he's in. Haven't seen him racing much this year, but he'll be good. And then on the women's side, you add Gabby Thomas to the mix. Shakari Richardson looked amazing in her qualifier. So, yeah, I think... Uh, I think both those races will be highlights on Friday. That'll be Friday, obviously, for tonight's of the semis. Yeah. 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 yeah so it is going to be exciting. The sprinting is certainly the most watched event here. And, and, and we talk about some of the superstars of the championships here. But when you just compare what happens in the mixed zone um, with the journalists, you know, last night when we saw Castle Wilhelm coming through at the mixed zone, there was probably, you know, 10, 15 journalists in the, in the sort of videoing area. Um, but when the sprinters are coming through, both men and women, that place is absolutely jam-packed. Uh, so the interest and in the and the vibe and the and the uh, sort of drama around the hundred meters is certainly what uh, is driving a lot of the attention at the world champs. Where's the least interest in? <laughs> I do feel a bit sorry for sometimes because all the athletes have to walk through the mix zone, and um, we saw a couple of times yesterday, like a silver medalist will walk through. Um, from one of the events um, and basically just be ignored and no, nobody wants to talk to them, which is bizarre. Um, you always get the odd person, but not everybody gets gets talked to. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of dynamics there. For instance, Wade Van Niekirk, um, who is obviously you know, a man who is going to be up lining up tonight. There's going to be lots of talk about how he is because he's the world, he's the world record holder. We know his story having hurt his knee and that sort of thing. So everybody wants to talk to him. He walks right through the mix zone, right to the end of the mix zone, and then everybody has to basically be interviewing him at the same time, um, which is not uncommon to do that, but he doesn't want to go from group to group to group. He just literally does one press conference to everybody at the same time. So there's always a bit of a, a bun fight to, to get your camera in there and to, to film what you need to film. So the dynamics, uh, luckily I'm a big chap, so I can muscle my way into those, those scrums quite comfortably. Um, but uh, I feel sorry for some of the other journalists uh, who uh, have to fight their way for, to get a decent um, to get a decent place in the, in the press conference. Yeah. Speaking of Wade Finnicker, two things. One is our fact checker Dennis Sachs let us know yesterday that we said that Wade didn't make a final in Eugene, and that this would be progress having made this final. He did in fact make the final in Eugene. So that's the second. Oh yeah. Second yes. We should know that being South Africans. Yes. Think too, South African athletic colors would get that one, but it's, it just shows I can't remember. No, I can't remember that, that either. Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Dennis, for letting us know. Thank I know that he, he, he's uh, keeping us honest here. Uh, then the second thing is tonight. What what are the prospects of a medal there? You spoke to him at length, and we did talk about him more yesterday in the context of his injury. You'd have to say it would be a surprise to medal as uh, as a second time qualifier. But thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, 
it's 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 quite a sort of a, a, a as a South African watching it is quite emotional sort of understanding where he's been for the last six years trying to recover from this terrible injury that he suffered and you know he, he really did open up about the, the challenges of getting up in the morning and motivating himself and you kind of feel at the age of 31 that and one of the American journalists asked me he says he said to me do you not think he, he just wants to retire now and the only reason why he's doing it is because people's expectations of him are you know so high that he needs to come back because it sounds like he wants to just retire now and you know it's difficult to say that because he might surprise us tonight but i think motivation wise he's really struggling i think he's struggling now to find the motivation to keep coming back even though he's making progress and getting better um and you know i think he's an outside chance for a medal um, emotionally you want him to do well because you want him to make that complete comeback but he'd I don't think he's ever going to be the athlete he was in Rio in 2016. And I think the prospects of him, you know, dipping under 43 seconds and being the greatest, you know, 40 meter runner of all time. I think that those, those hopes are diminishing. Um, sadly, very sadly. Yeah. No, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I can't disagree. Uh, it must be especially difficult because even it might not even necessarily be pressure from others to come back. It might also be from himself. Because I think when you've had something and it gets taken from you, there's a kind of loss of aversion. You know that it was there and you know what it was like. And you must, you must look for that. You know, it, it, I think human nature would want to, would be driving him to say, I know that I can do it. So I just need to go and do it. But the context has changed. Very difficult. Very difficult. Yeah. Uh, something else yesterday. I don't know if you saw the heat of the women's 5000s. Uh, watched a little bit of it, yes. Obviously, uh, the second one was probably the one that uh, was most uh, interesting, purely because we had the two big favourites into that event. But yes, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep glancing up at it. Yeah, I mean, the first one, the first one produced what I thought was a smart and very brave run from the Latvian teenager Agata Kauna, who basically was 150 metres ahead of the race with. Yes. Uh, with, with only only a k and a half to go, um, and she and she got a PB exactly. as a result of that, yeah, and qualified. And, and qualified. It's just interesting. We've we've touched on tactics a couple of times on our coverage, and she she obviously said, okay, with her and her coach, she said, you might be in fifteen minute shape. If you go through four thousand in twelve minutes on course for that fifteen, you won't make this final. Because there are going to be 12 women in this race who can finish in 2.45 and you can only finish in 2.55. So the only solution is you've got to go out and run your race and almost ignore what everyone else does. Let them run 3.10, 3.05, 3.03 for the first three cast. You just hit 3.33 and that's exactly what she did. So she was smart and she was courageous and she finds herself in the final as a result. So good for her. I thought I really enjoyed that. I thought it was, I thought it was one of the few instances where someone exceeded their own potential in a well they realized their potential in a race independent of everyone else in it it was, it was clever and, and then the it was kind of bizarre watching it because at one stage she was almost half a lap ahead of the rest of the field yeah. that's how big the gap was and it, it was almost comical in a way because there was this person running a time trial and then this group of runners behind her and so it was yeah it was it was uh, an interesting tactic but yes it paid off and then there's always for one person who's done something smart in a race like that her there's one person who's done something not so smart because whoever came ninth in that race should be in that final because is probably actually a a faster athlete but has put their race together in a way that wasn't optimal for them and 
consistently finished outside the qualifying places. So that's, yeah, interesting and good for her. Well done. So that's a teenager who actually went out and ran a very mature, sensible, confident race. The second race was interesting because why, why would you run 14.32 from the front like Hassan? Yeah. When, it's your, when it's your, let me count here, she would have had 1,500 three rounds, 10,000 and this. It's her fifth race of six. Yeah. Every other race she's done, she's been at the back. Yep. And <laughs> it's bizarre. I, 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 I couldn't crazy. understand it at all. When I watched the race, I thought, hang on a minute, has somebody got a different, has Hassan um, been given a different tactic here? Because you're right, she went right to the start from the front, set a blistering pace, and basically burnt everybody off, except, for, of course, for Faith Kibiagon, who must have been quite amused by the fact that she just had to follow, follow her feet the whole way around to qualify. So yeah. it was bizarre, because it was very much against everything that she's done so far in the World Championships. And, uh, you know, it was, going to, it, was, uh, it was going to be one of those things where, you know, it was, uh, um, you know, obviously they were going to qualify, but they dragged everybody out, and there was this long string of athletes just trying to keep up with Sifat Hassan. And maybe she's kind of paining from the fact that she hasn't got anything close to three gold medals, um, and now she wants to kind of dominate this event. And I still don't think she's going to get a gold medal either, because Kip Yangon's going to beat her again, I think. And, and Tegai, in fact, that, that woman's 5,000 final I'm looking forward to a lot. I think Tegai, who of course won the 10, is probably the only athlete who might hang on to Kipiagon for the last lap. So that'll be really interesting. She looked pretty comfortable in her heat. She won that first heat in a considerably slower time. Has raced a little bit less recently than Kipiagon. So I think the two of them will, Hassan will be hard pressed to, to match those two. But I also, I just don't understand it. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's fun. And it makes such a nice contrast to athletes who don't want to race and who avoid and so on. Hassan's just diving, let's go ahead, do crazy things. Yeah. But I just didn't understand it. And and even even like, you know, eight people are qualifying. After three and a half K with three laps to go, they could have looked at the screen, they would have seen six of them with yeah. sixty meters to everyone behind. They could have tapped off and jogged it in and they still would have come, qualified comfortably. But they don't. No. <laughs> yeah. It's faster and faster and faster. It's just weird. It was like a final in a way, wasn't it? Yeah, it did feel yeah. like that. And she won it, so that might be the only race she wins in the <laughs> World Champ. Uh, one or two other things, very quickly. Um, I saw some splits on Twitter from the Men's 100. They showed 10-meter uh, splits. Oh, and yeah, just, interesting. Yeah, and I just, just had a look at those in contrast to Usain Bolt from when he broke the world record back in 2009. You know, we were discussing this the other day in, in, in relation to Noah Lyles and what his potential was in the event. And going back now, I mean, obviously I knew it at the time, but I'd forgotten almost about just how unreal that 2009 performance was. So, for example, and like, there's a, I'll put it up on Twitter if you want to have a look. Lyles gets to 20 meters in 2.97. Tabochel was 2.90. So, Lyles was a tenth of a second down, basically, at 20 meters. Bolt was 289. So this big guy with his long legs and the big mass to move out of the blocks was faster to 20 than Tabocha was in this race. From 20 to 40, Bolt covers in 175, Lyle's 179. From 40 to 60, 167 plays 170. From 60 to 80, Bolt 1.61 versus Lyle's 167. And from 80 to 100, 166 to 170. So at no 20-meter interval was Lyles faster than Bolt in 2009. Yeah. Unbelievable. 
like the, the, the that that 2009 race bolt got to 20 meters first in that race against guys like tyson gay and blake and all these these fast starters that that it it, it must be as close to the perfect hundred that you as you're ever going to see incredible yeah when you started talking like that i was going to say oh I'm surely we're going to see the fact that uh, Bolt was still out the blocks, but you're right. The fact that he, that was the key. He was always fast in the second half. Yeah. But to say that he was so quick out the blocks was remarkable, really, wasn't it? Because he, he, never, he never had a, an idea that Bolt was fast out the blocks. He had a reputation for being slow. Yeah, exactly. And normally he was. But I think on that day, he put it together the whole race. The first 40 was the best in that race. And the last 60 was the usual Bolt performance. And, you know, Lyle spoke about his top-end speed and no one could match it. He lost, compared to Bolt, he lost 0 0.06, he lost a tenth of a second over the last 40 compared to Bolt, which at these speeds is considerable. And that's the difference between a 9.58 and a 9.83. Amazing. And then, and then just the other thing, because now obviously you want to look ahead and say, what does this mean for the 200? It was in 2009 that Bolt then broke the 200 record. And Lyle's has been talking about he can run 19.1. Look, and the 200 is a different beast because there's, there's a slightly different physiological demand with respect to fatigue resistance. But it's difficult to see when you compare top end speed of Bolt at his best versus Lyles now that Lyles has what it takes to run as fast as Bolt in a 200. I just can't see it happening. So whilst he will be a medalist, I was going to say gold, but I'm not sure that's necessarily true because I think that 200 is going to be very tight. I can't see Lyles running faster than Bolt did over 200 if he can't come close to him over 100. Yeah. Be interesting to see though. And then just last point is Lyles did have the fastest last 40 in this year's final. Not by a lot. He was one hundredth of a second faster than Tobojo between 60 and 80 and four hundredths faster between 80 and 100. So it was, he, he, he put five hundredths of a second, which is basically the winning margin into Tuborka over the last 40 meters. So that is, that is the Lyles phase of the race. So interesting to see how that plays out in the, in the 200. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was an interesting one to see. A uh, couple of other questions from people who've been watching and listening. Martin Hawkins and Graham Smith both, both asked about false starts because as we discussed, they allow a reaction time of 0.1 seconds. And we've seen now uh, Zimbini, there was a, False start in the hurdle semi-finals as well that I saw. And both guys, Martin and Graham, said, why can't they just have it from the gun? Like zero. Allow anyone, as long as you go after the gun, why have a point one and allow for reaction time? The simple answer is that the start is still a human-driven process. So there's a starter who has to say on your marks, get set and go. And the time period between get set and go is variable depending on a human subjective assessment. So that starter is looking to see has everyone gotten into the correct position and are they stable and only then will the gun fire. Now, why is that important? That's important because if that start period was uniform and standardized across every 100 meter race, then you could actually automate it. And you could say you, you can anticipate the gun. But if you allow the gun to determine the start as opposed to the reaction time, in other words, you, you, you say, as long as you go after the gun, even if it's a thousandth of a second, you would incentivize anticipation at the start. And then you have to anticipate human variability. And that would be impossible. It would cause carnage at the start because one starter who's 
five hundredths of a second slower than another would cause a false start compared to one who's not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think you have to ask the athletes to wait for the sound of the gun because otherwise there's no way you can standardize the start. And you would drive a behavior that would, that would compromise the race because, yeah, you can say, oh, well, they must anticipate. But how do you anticipate a difference of eight hundredths of a second in how one starter is going to fire the gun compared to another? It's not possible. Mm. It would ruin the, ruin the race, yeah. So anyway, that was just another question that came up. We had a question here on Instagram live saying that for all the uh, talk of athletics and track action and analyses, what people really want to know about is Hungarian goulash. So what's your, we're looking for some feedback in your, your reviews, please. <laughs> well, actually I am doing the great Budapest goulash tour of Budapest over the last couple of days. And I have actually done that. Is that uh, a my, thing? Wife is a, my, my wife was a food editor. So she said, you've got to go and try all the goulash all over the place. So I've, I've been to about four or five places and had it. And what's interesting here is it comes in two different forms. You either have it as a starter, as a soup, with some bread and a sausage on the side, or you have it as a main course, which is basically like the, the, the beef stew, which is delicious, and the gravy. It's all about the gravy. And then they have the sort of dumplings in it. And the dumplings is almost like bits of pasta inside that, that, that dish. And it's, uh, it's, it really is, I mean, a, a good goulash. I've had some good ones and bad ones so far, but generally have been good. And uh, I... I yeah, I, I love stew, so it, it does help me. But it's quite hard eating a warm stew in, in the temperatures that we're having here. It's not a, not ideal food for 34 degrees. If you, if you were to order goulash in South Africa, would it be the same as the goulash in Hungary? Or is it the same as like other foods where the moment you go to the source of the food, it's actually not the same as what gets <laughs> exported to other countries? Well, in South Africa. Africa, people would, I mean, having um, having a wife that's a food, it's a, we, we, we do eat a fair amount of these sort of foods. And yes, you, you would have a stew, but the tradition here is having it with the, with the dumplings. So in South Africa, dumplings are called dumbolo, which is basically a, a it's a whole dumpling. It's like a little um, a sort of uh, like a little cake. But in here, they basically mix the dumpling up, so it's almost like little bits of pasta within the, and then they pour the the um, the, the the goulash on top. So it's a slightly different version of it, um, but we're pretty close to it in South Africa, and I think anybody around the world will know what goulash is. It's just the way that they make it here is quite different from where they make it around the world. Have you been to those um, bars that are built into the uh, caves? That, I think they're called Rhone bars. Is that right? No. I I haven't been to those, but yes, there are. I'm planning to go there before we leave because that is apparently quite famous. And there's a famous market here, which has uh, got amazing food. So yeah, it's a, it's a really amazing town. I mean, everything works incredibly well. You know, the tram system, the trains, the buses are absolutely amazing. The only problem is that it's, it's almost like they've done everything so well in Budapest, except there's nobody to clean up the weeds. <laughs> so everywhere you go, there's weeds um on on the on the pavements and that sort of thing it almost looks a bit overgrown but in yeah. every other respect it's it's the, one of the most beautiful cities you could ever visit i mean the architecture is incredible and just riding around on a bicycle has been magical um the last couple of days so yeah I, i'd highly recommend it it is a very beautiful and uh, and scenic city very good so after that brief interlude into the science of food <laughs> and tourism uh last word on the athletics sort of related to that theme now that you've been there for just over your halfway your overall impressions of the health of track and field always a little bit loaded to judge it based on its showpiece event but certainly the impression i'm getting and again it's an echo chamber of, of, of nate of sorts on twitter 
but the, the the reaction and the feedback has been really good. These seem to have been an amazing world championships. And I'm not sure that the reports of the death of track and field that you sometimes see are entirely accurate based on what we've seen. I think what happens with the world championships and credit to World Athletics for doing this, but I think, you know, when you look at Diamond League events, you, you know, half the Diamond League events have great crowds, the other half don't. Mm. There's always the discussion about track and field is struggling against the sort of the, the big American sports in particular where there's hype and there's excitement and there's shows in the middle of the shoe was um, very, you know, it was one of those things where, but I, I do agree with you. I think there is an excitement. There is, uh, there is, uh, uh, there is certain things that I would do better, for instance, if I was World Athletics. They don't have press conferences after every one of the finals, which I think they should, because it allows people to really get into the nitty gritty. Those sort of scrums that they have in the mix zone are, are not ideal to get really good quotes from, and they could do that better. But I think they've really tried in many ways to try and make the event quicker. And we talked about this the other day. There's none of these long um, medal ceremonies. They have that separately from the events themselves, which keeps the program moving quite quickly. And the crowd in Budapest has better big role because I would say that we're almost three quarters full every single day mm. um, and for the big days it's completely full I mean you've got 60,000 odd people in there cheering and making a noise who are knowledgeable it makes for a great um, atmosphere and um, I think it has been a very successful championship so far yeah certainly the look I can't comment from the front lines but from the front of the television <laughs> and uh, the, the, the coverage is good I, I still think the production quality and some of the camera work isn't quite at the level of Commonwealth Games last year, but I can see that they're making attempts to do it. The social media coverage that World Athletics produce, I think, is quite good. So they're certainly doing a number of things quite well. I saw we were talking earlier this week about the stats that they put up. They're still doing that irrelevant statistic about distance behind the yeah. winner and so on, or the leader. Um, <laughs> But I did see actually during the javelin qualification, and it was kind of in the background while I was doing some work, so I didn't pay too much attention to it. They're showing the launch angle of the javelin. And, and they showed two numbers, and I didn't get enough time to see exactly what those two numbers were. But it struck me that there would be quite interesting things to explore in that respect. You know, launch angle of a shot put, launch angle of discus, launch angle of the javelin. Uh, even things like pole vault, they show the height above the bar that the athlete cleared and then at its lowest, at the closest point. So you could see, for instance, that Kennedy was 34 centimeters higher at her highest point, but only eight centimeters at the horizontal. So you say, okay, if she, she can go at least eight centimeters higher. So I think those things add quite cool insight for the television viewer. So they do, they're doing some quite good things and it's been quite impressive overall. And yeah, I, I just wish that there wasn't so much uh, as you say, just of a disparity between one place and another, because you, in Eugene last year, the lack of crowds and interest was the talking point. This year, it's the other way around. So, how do you how do you feed the strength of the sport whilst still um, developing its weaknesses? Difficult. Yeah, yeah. Mm. but I agree. They're, they're they're certainly heading in the right direction. And uh, Seb Coe has been re-elected as the president of World Athletics, and I think you know, all in all, I think he's doing a good job. Um, so let, let, let it continue. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, that's it for today on track and field. One last question that came in, Ozzy said, can we talk about the Vuelta? Absolutely, we plan to do that. But these are, these are track and field broadcasts because sadly, Mike, neither Mike nor I will be at the Vuelta. <laughs> but once we are back uh, in our, uh, well, not respective, our own home city together, we definitely will discuss the Vuelta because that's shaping up 
to be an amazing race. With the exception of Pogaccia, I think you've got the four best GC riders in the race. So really looking forward to that. That kicks off this weekend. So there'll be no withdrawal from the athletics. We can simply replace one addiction or love with another. So very much looking forward to that. Mike, have a good day. I don't know what's on your agenda until this evening session, but I hope it involves much goulash tourism and interest. It will, it will. And we will speak to you all tomorrow. Cheers, guys. Bye, all. Ciao. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.